Hello and welcome to the Hippocampus podcast, a place where we discuss the strategies that help optimise learning. So join us for some grassroots conversations where we share some practical tips and insights that might just make your learning journey a little easier. This is the second of our two-part theme, where we've been answering questions that incoming students may have about studying medicine. This time, we focus on two areas, exams, in terms of what types of exams could happen and what's expected from you. And the second is the support available while learning. So let's join the hosts, me, Gaia, Elliot, Kish, Nikita and Sophie. And we're all medical students and Lisa, who's a lecturer at the medical school. Hi everyone, thank you for coming back. Hello. 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 How are you doing guys? How's everyone doing? Everyone's doing well? Good? Not bad. Not bad. bad. Very good, Good. thanks. I've caught the sun today, I'm feeling a bit raw. Um, (laughs) Where have you been Lisa? Went up to the peaks, up to the peak district walking with our dogs. I, I feel that I've, I've perhaps aged about 10 years in the three months of being in, in lockdown. Um, <laughs> my back's aching, my ankles oh, no. are broken. Oh, no. oh, good. Sounds like you had a good time though, so that's good to hear. It was very nice. I think we've uh, exhausted the dogs, uh, which should mean that the, the weekend's a bit a bit quieter. Um, <laughs> yes, so, so continuing with our, our demystifying theme. So we've got a few more questions that we're going to talk through and, uh, and hopefully share some really helpful uh, insights. So first question then, for, for those coming into med school, uh, even if, if from a previous degree, they might be wondering what, what sort of ways they're going to be assessed. Exams. That is a scary word, isn't it? Dreaded word. <laughs> I, I, love, I love how you said assess. There's a formal way of saying, <laughs> informal way of saying, instead of saying exams. Because it's a scary we'll, word. We'll get this question out of the way first as well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, you've probably heard from the tone of my voice, the word exams seems quite terrifying in itself because, I mean, I came from studying GCSE A-levels and straight to university. So I found that the jump from exams was different. I think that's the best way to put it. But the key thing is the kind of structure of the exam. And it might be different to what you may have experienced maybe if you're doing a previous degree or at school, for example. I think the um, main thing is that you have short answered questions, so SAQs as we like to abbreviate them, mm-hmm. and SBAs, which are single best answers uh, or multiple choice questions. Yeah, you have quite a few of them, don't you? <laughs> yeah. As the semesters and years progress. And also, so, it's only going to continue when you graduate as well, right? Oh, yeah, it never ends. I didn't know that until I got to med school. That, that someone told me that, and I was like, oh my gosh, why did I not know this before I entered this degree? But it's okay. <laughs> We're here to have a good time, so <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I remember when I heard about um, med school exams and they were short answer, uh, short answer questions and SBAs. I thought that just meant they were easy because in A-level exams, the short answers yeah. were the easy questions and the yes. multiple choice, just a section at the start of the exam. So I was thinking, yeah. oh, that sounds great. But then I realised very soon that, that they're still very challenging. Wow. Yeah, no, because I feel like with SAQ, you can... It's almost like you can just write down what you know. With SBA, they can really trip you up and put an option there that can just make you go on another tangent altogether. But there are ways of overcoming that. 
And we'll yes. talk about that soon. That's so, true. There are ways of overcoming that, yes. Don't yes. run away, guys. Please keep listening because we have some <laughs> fantastic advice to give you. So what do you think about this? I was going to say, like, I, I've done um, multiple choice, obviously, like you guys in uh, GCSE A-levels. Yeah. But then also at, in my previous degree, it was multiple choice. But then I think that there's a subtle difference, isn't there, between multiple choice and single best answer. Yeah. Because yeah. I think a single best answer, there could te- what be more than one technically correct answer you've got to pick the best one whereas multiple choices usually there's only one correct answer Mm. so like you can process sort of elimination all of the others out so that's that's what freaks me out about sba is i always second guess myself if you go on question banks online you see what people have answered there's normally a quite a split between two two of the answers i think the i mean obviously the, the nature of what you're studying and the ways in which you're going to have to apply your, your what you learn is to potentially quite uncertain scenarios. And, and that's that's why I think single best answers are quite a common uh, assessment tool in, in many medical schools, not just at, just at Leicester. Lisa, do you find that doing an SBA or having all these five, six years practice within med school, doing this SBA, does it replicate like the real life scenarios that you may face as a doctor? Because this is a genuine question. Like I've never actually thought about whether it's applicable in that sense yes um and i'm not just saying that because i write experience. <laughs> um, but no it, I, and i think we, we touched on this a little bit i think in the first episode where mm-hmm. it's not just recall of what you know it's kind of application of that isn't it and yeah. when you go into medicine every interaction you have with a patient it's you're having to get to the bottom of what's going on you've got to reason you've got to problem solve and you're often feeling very uncertain and, and kind of going what, with what you think is your best guess. So with the single best answers, by having a couple of plausible diagnoses, it's really pushing you to challenge how well you understand how different conditions can present. Mm-hmm. And it may be that it's just one or two bits of evidence in, in the information that's given in the, in the question that push the likelihood of one condition being slightly more likely at that point in time than another. So in, in that respect, it is, it is authentic really in terms of, of how you have to think about patient problems and, and, and patient diagnoses. Moving away from just the format of the exams, if a student going into first year said to you, well, you've just got to pass them. So yeah, but, <laughs> but coming from uh, schools where, you know, all the students that wanted A's and A stars, to go to an exam where you just got to pass surely passing can't be that hard i've never failed an exam in my life so but i remember when i first heard that you've just got to pass the year so i was like yeah i've got to pass the year so I'm, I'm preparing for these exams thinking you don't really know what that means like you don't really know how many questions you've got to get right and i think is that i need to get half of them right i need to get most of them right and i think that's uh, so something i would like to say is like medicine it does provide this bit of uncertainty around the pass mark and I think that's why it's really important to focus on, like Nikita was saying in the first episode, focus on learning strategies which are helpful, focus on um, your learning technique. Yeah, I agree with you, Kish, because if you just think, oh, I just need to pass, just need to pass, I feel like it kind of narrows your mind a little bit to just hitting that little, just jumping over that little hurdle. Whereas if you focus on, I want to do my best, switching that whole mentality, it sounds positive. Oh, you just have to pass. It's quite negative in a sense, because you're kind of just saying that they just need to hit this baseline. And also, and also being a doctor is not just a baseline. You want to treat a patient at the end of the day. So you can't half-heartedly just go and treat them. 
you've got to use all the knowledge, all the information that you have in order to make sure you've cared for that patient as best as you can. So that's how I think of it. I, I did have points where I was like, oh, I just need to pass. But now I feel like as I've matured through a medical <laughs> degree <laughs> that I have to think of the patient at the end of the day because that's who I'm like going to be looking after. Um, so yeah, that's my words of wisdom for anybody listening <laughs> out there. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that as well, like applying it to when you're a doctor, because I remember yeah. I was whinging to one of my friends once and I was saying, you know, oh my God, like I'm so stressed. It, it could be a 60% pass mark. And they were like, well, I'd want my doctor to know 60% of stuff. And I was like, you're oh, so oh. Right. <laughs> they raise a good point there. Because honestly, yeah. at the end, because sometimes I think we, we're so focused on exams that we forget why we're even what's the purpose of this exam exactly and what you really want to be thinking about is like you rightly said Sophie the end goal um because that will motivate you in a sense and like kind of just help you have a broadened vision of why you're even here in the first place that's quite deep I think I might need to use my own advice (laughs) (laughs) if you were kind of driven by the fact well I know I need to learn this stuff to to be a safe doctor what would you feel if, I don't know, maybe you had one big exam right at the very end of the five years, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, having a, say, an exam every semester or every year, which I think is probably what most, most medical schools do. You know, if you would weigh up the two options, what, what sort of thoughts would you have on that? I, I don't think that would be a good idea because at the end of five years, imagine the anxiety you would have for the single exam. <laughs> oh, it would be such high stakes and you'd have so much content. It'd have to I, be like a 17 hour paper. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I would actually argue the other way. I would say you should have more testing, well, informal testing, and then it just makes the important exams. You feel probably well prepared for it. And you're, you know what you understand and what you do and don't know come something that actually matters. It's a better idea to normalize testing. Yeah, absolutely that just got me thinking like i think at leicester we have a system where semester one is sort of assessed at the end of semester one and then at the end of semester two you'll be assessed on both semesters one and two and and then after three you're assessed on one two and three but initially i was really like against that um, model because I come from another degree background where it was sort of you, you examined in chunks like on a module and then you can sort of park that and move on and yeah. having this kind of spiraled process over time I actually realized that it re- is really helping me reinforce uh, knowledge identify sort of gaps that I'm not very good at and uh, have an opportunity to then build on them and I think once you got to that point where you can keep revisiting the same stuff again and again it really does tower up into this building that's quite strong yeah yeah um with so we've we've kind of touched on the types of exams that you have in med school so that the written types of exams which are these single best answers and we mentioned a little bit on on short answer questions but we'll, we'll, we'll certainly um talk more on exam technique and preparing for those sorts of uh, types of exams in a, in a future podcast episode so i think we, we've touched on this a little bit about what what's expected of you um you know when, when you come into these exams and, and and kish you were saying how you know a lot of the exams that you sit are you know not just testing the the previous term or semesters work but actually you know the 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 semester before that and even the year before that you're not just learning content to pass one exam forget about it and move on to the next it's stuff that you've got to constantly retain and and, and keep using it gets better as you go along what do you mean by that what do you you mean by it gets better not in terms of you do better Okay, because obviously yeah. that's dependent on loads of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I remember before my the first exam, there 
there's just a lot of uh, yeah. you don't know how challenging it's going to be and then I think after the third and fourth exam and it almost now it's like a it's like a routine it's like it's much so, more familiar so do it's you, less daunting yeah. as time that, goes on is that what you were touching on the fact that you're used to the style of the paper yeah like maybe style, how many exactly. marks are awarded for certain things um, yeah the types of questions and I, I think I can agree with you in that sense because it's a bit like practice makes perfect I mean yeah. you can't see me but I'm doing the inverted commas thing but <laughs> what I mean by that is that you can kind of perfect your kind of vision of the exam because you've yeah. done so many before I think that's the beauty of like doing two exams per year one midway and one at the end as well because we get yeah. used to used to it as well it helps you visualize and maybe even kind of formulate your own questions and revising like oh could they test me on this or the first time you sit a an exam at med school is not going to be you know the high stakes one have lots of opportunities for what are called formative exams which are basically practice a bit like your dcse uh, mocks or your a levels or whatever whatever the, the equivalent of those are called there's plenty of types of these questions that you get to practice and get a feel mm-hmm. for before you actually sit real paper and i think it's really important that students use those regularly and throughout yeah. the semester and i don't know what what sort of approaches you guys have taken but we see a lot of students almost storing these <laughs> storing yeah. up these questions and not I'll wanting do to later. do them I'll do it until, yeah yeah or not wanting to do them until they're 100 percent sure that they know the material well enough to do well on the question and actually that the value in these questions is is doing them early getting them wrong and learning why you've got them wrong and you know there'll be a whole um, future podcast episode on the importance of, of something called retrieval practice and the importance of making mistakes in, in learning but uh, but yeah just to sort of reassure that you know you come into med school there'll be types of assessments that you're unfamiliar with but the first time that you sit them won't be the high stakes one you'll have lots of opportunities to, to, to try out those sorts of questions that's very well said Lisa I've got a small analogy that I just thought of just now Go it's a bit like driving right you're you're learning the theory behind driving and your test is say on the 8th of January and you only decide to actually practice driving on the 7th so you don't want to be doing that with those banker questions that you have and say (laughs) if you're driving and you crash the day before your exam you're like oh I actually don't know how to drive so I don't know if that made sense or not but in a sense that you want to be practicing I think we just know not to get into a car with you Gaia (laughs) (laughs) actually well I I can drive very well I believe my sister believes so anyway you believe we're in in July now so I think we'll be all right (laughs) (laughs) just the the key thing is practice 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 so when I was at med school and our exams used to be that we had to write essays. So our anatomy exams, we'd have three possible topics that we would then write, you know, pages of essays on. And I actually, I'll have to maybe put a post up on Instagram of a picture from uh, some yes, uh, example do. questions. Yes. And I think one of the questions was write an essay on the uh, the root of the ocular motor nerve. And, an essay uh, on it. You guys get single best answers and, and short answer questions. Oh. I had to write reams and reams wow. on the Lisa, thing. Lisa, all I can do is a flow chart and that's like six <laughs> words. <And you laughs> that's all that's needed. And on our MCQs, we had negatively marked MCQs. That's even worse. You either left it blank and got zero, or you risked putting an answer that you weren't 100% sure of, and you don't only lost the mark for that question, you then got a minus mark, you were penalised for it. Wow. We're so lucky. I don't think that's the case anymore. That's savage. 
Imagine. You'd be scared to answer answer the questions. I would answer. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be attending. Yeah. You'd be like minus one hundred and twenty. You got every question. Oh, that sounds like God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man! Oh I mean, God. Lisa, you survived, and you're here now. So congratulations! You took us the pathway of the ocular motor now. <laughs> I know. I know. Say, so, like, what other kind of exams might you encounter in med school? Because that's that's not it, is it? That's oh no, oh no, no. We have OSCEs as well. Yes. What do OSCEs actually do? For? I should know this, but does it stand for something? <laughs> Objective structured clinical exam, I think. There we go. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Is it? Those are people wondering at me. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's the OSCEs that I dread the most. That really? you know the oh oh yeah no you know the clinical part because you know how we've been used to just writing on paper, yeah. but then suddenly you have someone watching you. Like I'm so scared about clinical years. I'm dreading. You know the actual part oh, of being yeah. a doctor. I'm yeah. scared of that part. Yeah. But you know what? The, great, the thing is, Nikita, I believe that you'll smash it, it honestly, because oh, you're God. so you're so eloquently spoken and um, yeah. you're confident as well. So I'm sure we'll be fine. No, but it's not. It's, see, I what mean, is it that you dread? I feel like I can't respond well on the spot. Like I have to be very well prepared before I go into doing something. I feel like I'm just going to drown when when that when yeah, it comes but to that. it's a bit similar. If someone asked me to multiply like a three-digit number by three-digit oh number, God, I will yeah. fumble. <laughs> so my on-the-spot thinking isn't that great either. I think it's one of those things with Aussies. It's like with practice as well, and kind yeah, of it's, it's because we're around our friends as well when we practice. It kind of breaks oh, that yeah. little barrier as well so i think with that once again practice makes yeah. perfect and exactly with of... oskis you're practicing yeah. exactly what you're going to do I, I see what nikita's saying about you know the fear of maybe being on the spot and not knowing what yeah. to do that, that's quite a scary thought yeah to add in case again oskis are a very unfamiliar thing to students that are yet to join med school it's an oral exam um, and you are a little bit put on the spot, as, as Nikita was saying. But you go into different rooms or stations and, and in each room or station, there'll be a patient that you might have to take a history from. So find out what signs and symptoms they've got and, and come to a diagnosis. Or it could be a, an examination station, a clinical exam where you have to examine their heart or their lungs. So it's, it's really sort of getting you in the throes of, of what you do as a doctor. Um, and obviously, as you progress through the years in medical school, there'll be slightly more difficult situations that you have to face and more challenges on your uh, reasoning and problem solving skills. Like in the real world, you mm. have to think on your, on your feet, you have to show initiative. And uh, I think all of that does come with time and knowledge yeah. and confidence, I guess. I know I won't know everything, but then at the same time, it's just that's I think that's what frightens me subconsciously. You know how we're talking about at least with me, my anxiety towards say clinical years. I'm trying to find ways to to overcome that anxiety. And I know a lot of medical students will have their own personal anxieties, yeah. like expectations of themselves or comparisons with others. We touched upon comparison last episode. But mm -hmm. I think actually yesterday um, I was listening to uh, another podcast where this lady who actually trains, um, you know, performers to help with their anxiety. So she was mm -hmm. talking about her experience and 
she gave a really nice analogy of how, you know how you have good thoughts, bad thoughts, and she kind of called them two dogs in your head. So you have a good dog and you have a bad dog. Lisa loves that because it's to do with dogs. (laughs) (laughs) You have a penny. (laughs) (laughs) They both sound lovely. Which one's the bad one? Which one's the bad one, exactly. (laughs) You have the bad dog that tells you, you know, oh, you don't know this, you can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And then um, someone says, so how do you deal with those two dogs? and then she said the answer to that is which one you feed the most so I think so I really liked that and I realized I've been feeding the this particular niggling thing that I have in my head that old clinical on the spot I'm going to fail I'm going to be miserable Mm. at it blah 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 rather than focusing on how I can get better so feed the other dog yeah yeah (laughs) the happy dog so we've talked quite a bit on on exams. Lisa, so we didn't mention that, any uh, anatomy exams. I thought I thought you would have been first to mention the anatomy exams. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there are, depending on you know different medical schools, there can also be other practical assessments, other exams. So a lot of med schools will have in the early years uh, specific exams that involve incorporating and testing uh, anatomy. I think we can certainly pick up on on those sorts of things as we may be uh, looking at future podcasts talking around uh, exams and, and preparation in a little bit more detail. Um, so, so yeah, so exams, what's expected of you, what you should expect of yourself mm-hmm. you know, is a little bit different when you come to med school. But broadly speaking, all main types of exams are going to be written exams, single best answers, short answer questions, and um, an OSCE. And I'd say that that's the case probably for most medical schools, that you'll have some form of written paper and OSCEs will have them at least once every year as you, as you go, through your, go through your course. So let's, let's put assessment to, to one side. Maybe picking up a little bit on, on some of the, the question that we left listeners with last week in our first episode in this theme was about that transition from a level or prior degree into medical school and and how you balance the the new intensity and pace of learning that you're faced with you know that that can be a tricky ride we talked about you know sort of being knocked over a few times and the path being quite windy what what, what would you guys sort of say when you first come into into med school into university did you feel that you kind of had to start just figuring things out for yourself in university at least with my first degree being a grad uh sometimes people sort of feed this thought into your head that you're by yourself and you can't approach people for help but I to be honest I don't think I paid much attention to that thought I kind of said to myself that I will try and work things out myself first and then if I'm really struggling I think I still have the freedom to go to say a lecturer or anybody for help and to be honest, yeah. in my experience, I've done that a lot. I've from the right from day one of my first degree up till now, I've had the freedom. I've just emailed lecturers. They've responded so well to me or even arranging a meeting in their office, them arranging an extra session. Like it's I think the, the key thing is, is that people shouldn't think, oh, I have to figure everything out by myself. You you have to put in some effort first initially. Then once you reach a stumbling block and you think, OK, I have tried now I need some help. That's really good, Nikita. That's something that I've only recently developed like that. I feel like I'm quite a confident person just when I'm quite chatty and open anyway. But when it comes to things that I'm unsure of, I'm like, well, the lecturers taught me this. So therefore I should understand. So I sit there and I try and figure out what this concept is where, whereas I could just go to them or like you said, arrange an email, uh, not arrange an email, uh, write an email, arrange a meeting with them. 
to maybe explain that in probably 30 seconds where I've spent like three hours trying to figure something out. I think it's a barrier that maybe some people have already broken, but for me, it took me a while. And just because I thought, oh, I'm dumb. Like I don't understand this and all my friends do. I think that, yeah. you know what you're saying, guy, that thought I think crosses a lot of people's heads. You know, when they yeah. say, I can't, oh, they've taught me this. But you know, also the thing is, you're not asking, um, you're not asking simple, basic questions like, what's this? You, yeah. you know, the, a lot of what we do, there'll be concepts that we come across. Exactly. And we'll formulate yeah. a very specific question that you can't simply type up on the internet and look up. It requires exactly. a discussion. So yeah. those kinds of things, once you formulated that, because I remember my lecturers used to say to me, did you look into this? Did you research this? And I said, yeah, but you know, I still can't figure it out. Yeah, and then you yeah. go from there. But I think, so I think that thought of what you mentioned that, oh, I'm, I'm too stupid. I mean, it's, it, it should never cross your head. When I cast my mind back and I'm reflecting on my experience so far at medical school, it was really, really apparent to me that at the beginning, I was, I was struggling a little bit with certain things because I felt as though I was completely alone in terms of I need to try and get this into my head. I need to understand this concept. And sometimes I just couldn't. And that was uh, that was quite difficult for me until I met somebody in a couple of years above me who introduced me to the concept of working in teams and working in a group. And from that moment, um, my study sort of plan changed and it became so much more kind of collaborative. And uh, what I would do is basically, let's say if we taught something on a Monday, I would then go and review that in my own time at some point in the week. And then I would join up with my group of friends the following Monday and we would discuss everything that we were taught the week before. And that would happen almost like on a daily basis. And at that sort of daily meeting point, I could voice the things that I wasn't sure about. I could explain the things that I thought I knew and really open my, myself up to all of the problems that I didn't even know I was developing and also find solutions to the problems that I was having. Uh, and between like four people with, you know, the internet and four minds and panopto, we could usually figure problems out. And then if, if we couldn't, then I think at that point we would then make use of the academic stuff. I think uh, what you're saying is about friends. I, that's something perhaps that I should have done more often. Cause I used to have this thing in my head, like I don't get something. The lecturer is, the most reliable. That's how I used to say it to myself. And I used to just run to the lecturer. Um, but you know, I mean, I, now that I've spent so much time with friends, they'll explain something so well. And I wish, I wish I incorporated that element as I was going through the year rather than, I mean, it's, it's better I'm doing it now than never. Um, but yeah, yeah perhaps exactly. considering friends as the first step, having that discussion, as you said, you know, that once you've done that independent review. I would say for to first year students, that it's a really great opportunity to take an active role in forming a support circle. If you don't understand something, this is how I'll deal with it. And then speak to a lecturer or these are my friends that I'll talk to about this specific problem. I think as well, within your friendship circle, each of you will have your own interests and your own kind of like mini areas of expertise as well. So like, yeah you can go to each other someone might explain something in a completely different way to the lecturer did and that will make it click for you you know when you go up to someone and you think this is going to happen if you ask them this question like for example they'll see you as stupid or blah 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 there's this um concept that actually one of my favorite actors mentioned in an interview 
where he spoke about this thing called impact bias. Essentially, you tend to miscalculate uh, an outcome of something that you're going to do. So you think it's going to be much worse than it is. Turns out, actually, it's going to be fine. It's very different to what you seem. Whether it's exams uh, or whether it's asking for help, you think, oh, I'm going to turn out unhappy after this or, or whatever it is. As, as humans, it's just, it's a part of our nature that we'd like to predict and preempt things. That's the bias we have, but I think it's important we break that kind of line of thought. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a vulnerability, isn't it? It's um, yeah. kind of putting yourself out there. And I think as you, you know, get older and older, you just care less and less about what people <laughs> think about you. Um, <laughs> you know, so I'm quite happy to kind of ask questions. If I don't know, I want to know the answer to, and I've tried to figure it out myself and I can't, then I'll ask. You know, and I think as, you know, obviously coming from a staff perspective, we, you know, we're really, really keen to encourage students to feel comfortable to just put themselves out there and, and ask a question if they genuinely don't know something and, and not to worry that we're ever going to, to think that they're stupid or that they shouldn't be asking that question. I think questions are are brilliant because it really gives us, you know, coming at it from a a teaching perspective, it gives such a valuable insight as to how you're thinking about something. And unless you vocalise that, we don't know how you're coming at a topic, you know, and a lot of the things that you're learning are new to you. You're going to think about them in completely different ways to how someone who's been thinking about this topic for years has. And very often there'll be questions that you guys pose that the teaching staff don't know the answer to. We we kind of have to sort of think it over and, and that's totally fine it's fine to not know the answers to everything and to ask for help yeah i would say if i could change anything about my attitude in the first and second year i would say to myself uh don't accept things that you don't understand so think think through what you know and don't accept not understanding something it's not you're not going to look stupid or you're not going to annoy people asking them the thing i find funny about some lectures not that le- the lectures are funny but like in terms of in terms of like if so for example there's a really difficult concept about maybe uh, heart failure for example no one in the lecture theater has understood it or maybe it's just my group of friends or people around me everyone's like what's going on what's going on oh man i give that lecture i really did it was the first one that came to my i'm so sorry um uh, <laughs> It's going to be eliminated from the podcast now that I've said that. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so yeah, so you're sitting there and everyone's confused around you. And the lecturer goes, do you have any more questions? And everyone is just silence. <laughs> Everyone is like firing up with so many questions. They're so confused, but there's silence. And I think, I don't know if it's just the attitude within like a lecture theatre, like because it's not normal for someone to maybe put their hand up in front of oh, 200, yeah. 300 people to say actually i don't understand yeah. actually back, back to lecture yeah. slide one what what, yeah. what was going on there <laughs> yeah. what can I do that? I didn't, it's the I artificial get, thing yeah. ever isn't it like it is, lecturers it is. asking questions exactly and i guess there are people who go down at the end and do have their like questions that they will require required to be answered even though people are confused and if it is a whole co- cohort of people learning about a topic that's not heart failure um <laughs> you can be confused but in a large environment we're quite scared to even speak up about that so i guess if that's the norm then find that confidence in yourself to maybe email or go up to them at the end um, to make sure that whatever doubts you have are cleared also i think like i don't know about you guys just yeah. the other side of it um 
do you ever get stressed out when you see loads of people going down at the end to ask questions and you're like <laughs> yeah. wait yeah. You I get stressed out when I'm on the receiving end <laughs> of all those questions uh, I'm sat there thinking I just passively took all that in and um <laughs> I don't know enough to even formulate a logical question at this point <laughs> so it's fine to take it away like try and digest it and then come back with some questions like lectures aren't going to be like um, I taught that three weeks ago I'm not going to answer yeah. a question you need time yeah. to digest it don't you and think on it yeah i think like reflecting back for myself there's just one shining moment which really does like stand out to me even to this point and it was this uh it was this this chap in the year a couple of years above and he just said to me talk more and write less and that's what he said and it really worked for me like stopped writing stuff down and i just started talking more whether that's to colleagues friends lecturers whatever i think for me the more i spoke about things uh, the more i could keep it in my mind and there's something really uh, from from my learning strategies or, or techniques i think um something really powerful about being able to discuss things and having people explain things to me and then me explaining them back it just really sits in my mind uh, and like retention's a lot stronger as well from my perspective uh, when it's spoken about yeah it's, it's really useful isn't it if you if you can explain something talk to someone about something you've probably got quite a good understanding of it don't you yeah i think with the with the talk more right less i i do agree with that but at the same time I'm, i don't know whether i'm being controversial here kids don't mind me but um like, yeah, like, <laughs> like <laughs> bring it on bring, bring it, on. it on oh god no i I think it's definitely a relative thing. Like I still have yeah, to write stuff yeah. down if you get what I mean. Like it's yeah. part of my independent revision. Uh, yeah. I see it more as the yeah. talking comes afterwards. Do you, do you see what, I, what I'm saying? So yeah, definitely. I definitely agree that incorporate the talking, having a conversation around the subject. Cause even my personal tutor um, said to me that please don't think you have to write up stuff all the time. You can discuss things as well. And that just cements learning kind of foreshadows how we'll be having conversations with colleagues around subjects and stuff like that so yeah i think you know when you do stumble upon something that you're struggling to understand you know one of the ways you can tackle that is by coming at it from a different resource you know using yeah. perhaps a different resource that presents it in a slightly different way that just suddenly helps it make sense to you and i'd certainly say with anatomy it is a three-dimensional subject and if you are really struggling with, with things when it comes to the like anatomy having something that allows you to appreciate its three-dimensional perspective is is really really important and, and you know the dissection room facilities we've got plastic models but also you know even applications on your iPad or online that allow you to, to interact with 3D renderings of the human body with really accurate detail. If I could sort of fairly summarise what, what, what you guys have been saying, that when it comes to getting used to, to studying at med school, and you, there are slightly different expectations that, that you do try and at least try and make sense of things yourself. And if you're really struggling to know that there are so many avenues for support, you've highlighted the importance of peer support. And, you know, in, in higher education and medicine, there's, there's a lot of that small group work, teaching and learning. And, and so you're always surrounded by your peers to be able to sort of talk to and bounce ideas off. But also, you know, the staff side of things to not not ever feel that you can't approach um, a member of staff to, you know, either via email or through face to face or through a knock on the door or uh, it might be slightly different when in our current circumstances it might be a, a knock on the, the virtual door but um but just to never never think that they can't ask any any sort of final maybe leaving thoughts that you might have for students coming into med school 
if they go through a period of, of struggling with, with their studies, what would be your advice to? Maybe start with Elliot. I was going to talk about uh, a thing called the dark room metaphor. Oh. So I'll just oh. quickly go over this. And I think it's really reflective of the discussion we've just had. So basically, yeah. imagine you go into a dark room. There's loads of things in the room, but it's dark. You can't see anything. You don't know what's there. So you fumble around. You feel all the walls. You see. Ev- you feel everything that's there. You fall over. But and then you get around and you touch the light switch and you turn the light switch on. Um, and then you see everything. And then in your mind, you understand everything that's in the room and you'll remember everything that's in the room. The alternative to that is someone showing you a picture of the room. So basically what the metaphor is trying to say is I... you've, got to, you've got to go through, you've got to fail, you've got to fall over, you've got to feel everything. In the long term, you'll remember everything that you've experienced. You'll, you'll remember those things. It's easy just to be shown answers and things like that. But when you've experienced the learning process and done it all for yourself and sought help along the way, it's much more durable learning. That process is allowing you to make your personal meaning of the things that you've, you learn. Yeah. And um, you can apply that to specifically like anatomy, exploring a, a cadaver and, and you'll get more meaning from the things. But you can ex- apply it more abstractly to like problems. And in, when you encounter a problem uh, in the end you know if you struggled with it and sought for help you'll you'll remember it probably much longer that was really well said Elliot I love that I'm gonna remember <laughs> the dark room that's really for good. the rest of my life <laughs> I feel like people yeah. need to have that that will that courage to enter that dark room you know how you when you think there are going to be obstacles you step back but also can I just quickly add a quote I really, really like it. Go for it, Nikita. Enlighten us. Nikita's court call corner. It's from an actor. So Kish is right. It's from a Bollywood actor. Uh, but no, he had, this, he had this quote that he mentioned. Uh, you know how we were talking about exams initially and the dreaded word and everything. I think for people who struggle or are really, really apprehensive, I think the quote, he who says he can and he who says he can't are both usually right. Do you, oh, do you see that? Yeah. yeah, I thought that was that really a, a, resonated. It's a self-fulfilling yeah, so. prophecy, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So I think that's the attitude that students should have. That it's the way you think that impacts Excellent. how you do. So, so Elliot, Nikita, you've you've shared sort of those, you know, a couple of final thoughts there on just going <laughs> Sorry, into the dark room. I think room I went and... off on a bit of a tangent. I think I think we should be encouraging all the students to go into to unlit rooms and fumble around. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sophie, Please then Sophie, what, what would your what your thought, final thoughts be? Um, I think it's worth noting that you know we've discussed like going to your friends, asking the lecturers, things like that. If you're really struggling with any aspects of medical school, like go to your personal tutor, go to academic or pastoral support. There's so many options out there for you. Um, you don't need to struggle through it alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, um, Leicester Medical School has a dedicated academic support unit as well as a pastoral support unit, as well as a personal tutoring system, um, you know, which are all open access um, support services for, 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 for any aspect of of, of what you might be struggling with so you know if it's personal or health related then pastoral support units really really helpful um for that and if it's just for a, a you know one-to-one chat about dealing with certain aspects of, of how you're studying and learning then the academic support unit you know has uh, one-to-one appointments that you can just go in and uh, have a chat and, and as, as you said sophie personal tutors can be a, a you know really helpful source of support as well in, in that respect kish 
yeah i've uh i've really moved by that dark room analogy so just reflecting on that i think it was really good because you do stumble around the dark room and the the alternative like you said earlier is just to be shown a picture which doesn't really mean much you can't really relate to it very well and i think once you've been around the dark room and you understand everything you're using all of your senses aren't you and then when you switch the light on it becomes a, a very well lit room and i think that is building it back from our first episode that is something that does happen i think we all fumble across this dark room is this the, the light, light switch that's what i was just oh, thinking wow. yeah it becomes a light room yeah. Love that. <laughs> Brilliant. How about you go? Well, oh, I might. Do I give a? Oh, no, I'll girl, give a you, short. You're not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> is it because? Is it because of the heart failure? Lecture? Is. is that why? <laughs> the dead actor. Um, no, I've just got two words to say, and hopefully it resonates with everyone. It's just speak up. Speak up if you're worried. Speak up if you're confused. If you're just lost, because there's going to be someone who's going to answer your questions for you, and you don't want to sit there confused all the time um so i just keep it short and sweet for me speak up so we've come to the final part of our show which is our recommendations we have two recommendations this week so shall we start with you elliot uh yeah so it's basically a, a blog post uh that talks about the dark room metaphor in a bit more detail than than i talked about uh and the overarching uh, principle of constructionism in learning and it's really interesting i'd recommend it Great, thank you. And Sophie, what would you like to share with us as well? Uh, just quite a useful YouTube video I found by Karma Medic. Um, he shares his tips for starting medical school and also covers some of the topics we've spoken about in the past two episodes in a bit more detail. So um, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Great. And we're going to be sticking the links to these resources in the episode show notes. So don't forget to check them out. So that's all for this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review and give us a follow on our Instagram at the Hippocampus Podcast. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for the future discussions, please send us an email at thehippocampuspodcast at gmail.com. Join us next week where we discuss getting the most out of lectures and note-taking strategies. 